The Orioles were not able to complete the sweep over the Toronto Blue Jays on Wednesday afternoon. In fact, the offense looked asleep again. But the Orioles still have had some good happening lately, especially with the draft, as we'll talk about two other Orioles draft picks in Cameron Weston and Preston Johnson coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Thursday, August 18th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're first going to recap a tough Orioles loss as they fall 6-1 to to the Blue Jays on Wednesday, end up winning the series, but not able to get the sweep. I'll get you the five things you need to know from that Orioles loss. Then we'll dive back in to the Orioles MLB Draft Series, profiling every player that the Orioles selected and signed as an undrafted free agent in the 2022 MLB Draft. And today, we'll be learning about the Orioles' 7th and 8th round selections. Two right-handed pitchers in Preston Johnson out of Mississippi State and Cameron Weston out of Michigan. Stefan Kreisnick will be joining us to talk about Johnson, and he will go over the stuff that he used to transition from a reliever to a starter this season, whereas he, out of the bullpen, helped Mississippi State win a College World Series in 2021, and then he went into the rotation because of an injury to another starter, and frankly, his stuff still looked just as good. That's why the Orioles picked him up. And then after that, Zach Linfield will join us to talk about Cameron Weston out of Michigan and his stuff moving back and forth from the bullpen to the rotation and how he gets so many outs without as many strikeouts as some other pitchers. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast. But before we get there, just did want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms. And of course, we're right here on the Locked on Orioles YouTube page. Thank you to all who have subscribed. And remember, because we got over 1,000 subscribers on the YouTube page, we're doing a giveaway. And that giveaway is the Cedric Mullins 3030 bobblehead. So if you want to get your hands on this Cedric Mullins 3030 bobblehead, you need to do two things. One, you need to be subscribed to the Locked On Orioles YouTube page. And two, in the comment section of any of our videos this week, any of the Monday through Friday episodes, comment with your favorite moment that you have seen live at Camden Yards in the 30 years of Oriole Park. And if you're an O's fan, but you've never been to Camden Yards, that's okay. You can still comment your favorite moment you've seen on TV happen at Camden Yards. I will close down the comments at midnight on Friday. And then on Monday's episode, we will reveal who wins the Cedric Mullins 30-30 bobblehead. But again, it's thanks to you, the listener, for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. And for your first listen today, we start... Well, with a tough Orioles loss, as the O's were going for the sweep on Wednesday in Toronto. little afternoon game on getaway day and just could not get it done. Blue Jays 6, Orioles won the final score. O's still do take 2 out of 3 from the Jays, but dropped to 61-56 and 56 on the season with the loss. Again, they could have jumped into a playoff spot with a win. Now they're a game and a half back of Toronto. A Seattle win means they're still two games back of Seattle. And as I record here, the Rays have a 4-0 lead on the Yankees in the sixth inning. Yankees just can't score right now. So the O's would be two and a half back of the Rays. They would also be now a half game back of the Twins, who also won again 
in Wednesday's game. And they could be a half game back of the White Sox if they can beat the Astros as well. But at the end of the day, what you need to know, O's will be a game and a half out of the wild card going into play on Thursday. But I'll get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' 6-1 to loss to the Blue Jays. And the first thing you need to know is that Austin Voth may have put together the best start of his major league career. And it was going to be tough to top what he did on Friday night in Tampa when he had five no-hit innings against the Rays. But for the first time in his career, whether with the Nationals or with the Orioles, Austin Voth throws six shutout innings, allowed just two hits, struck out three, and walked one through just 86 pitches to get him through these six innings, a 4.86 ERA on the season for Voth, but it's under three with the Orioles, had just six hard hit balls against him. He was just dominant. I mean, what else is there to say? Ten whiffs for Voth on 43 swings. He had two on the four on the fastball, two on the cutter, two on the curveball. And then what was really interesting from Austin Voth is we have talked about how, you know, he had that changeup that he just didn't throw with the Nats this year. Kind of brought it back. He's been throwing it from time to time. But he did not throw that pitch on Wednesday. Instead, he threw his new sweeper slider that is back into his repertoire. Early in his Nationals career a few years back, he did use a regular slider from time to time. But the sweeper has been the pitch that's been well sweeping the league this year, that new kind of slider. It's the slider that Jordan Lyles throws to get more swings and misses. And Austin Voth talked a couple of days ago about how he had been working on a sweeper with Chris Holt. Well, he debuted it in Wednesday's game. Threw it 10 times. It was his least used pitch. And he did get two whiffs on six swings, a couple of foul balls, a couple of balls in play. Didn't have the greatest command of it. I don't even think... He threw it in the strike zone once. Maybe one of the 10 sweepers actually ended up in the strike zone, did get some chases on it. But it's a good-looking pitch. It's it's 84 to 85, you know, cut straight across from right to left. And it's a good addition to his, you know, kind of big overhand curveball, which, you know, still gets things done. And at the end of the day, just good, good stuff from Austin Voth. He kept the Orioles right in this one all day. But the reason why the O's didn't win or never got Austin Voth a lead is because The second thing you need to know from this one is that the Orioles' offense just did not wake up once again in this one. As we know, in Sunday's loss in Tampa, Drew Rasmussen of the Rays had a perfect game through eight innings against the Orioles before Jorge Mateo led off the ninth with a double. Well, we almost saw some of the same in this one. Six perfect innings for Blue Jays starter Ross Stripling. In his first start off the injured list after a lower body injury for Stripling, he was on a pitch count as well. And he was six perfect. Now, Cedric Mullins, on the first pitch of the seventh inning, dunked a single into left center field when it was still a 0-0 game at that point to break up the perfect game. Stripling only got one more out in the inning before he was removed. But just nothing going from the Oriole offense. And it's not like, you know, that dunk hit sparked them. I mean, they did end up with a run in the eighth inning, ended up with one run on four hits on the day. Robinson Chirinos had an RBI infield single in the eighth to get the Orioles on the board. But you can't have two games in four days where you are being perfect gamed into the seventh inning and beyond. That just can't happen. And it's not like they're facing Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer. I mean, nothing against Rasmussen and Stripling, who both have sub-three ERAs this season. Both have been fantastic. But both are not guys who should be perfect gaming you that deep into a game. And it happened again for the Orioles. Third thing you need to know from this one is that, well, this seemed to be one of those games where the Orioles' bullpen had a blow-up inning. And, And quite frankly, I think it's safe to say that the seventh inning in Toronto on Wednesday was the worst inning of the season 
for the Orioles' bullpen as a whole. Austin Voth pitched six scoreless. He was magnificent. Orioles broke up the perfect game in the seventh but couldn't score. And then the O's went to Joey Crable in the bottom of the seventh inning in a 0-0 game. And Crable got the first out, but then a bloop single and a single on a hit and run put runners on the corners with one out. Brandon Hyde goes to the bullpen. He brings in CNL Perez, who was not effective at all. It was a George Springer RBI single. Then next up in the lineup was Santiago Espinal, who laced one into the gap for a two-run double, or two-run triple, actually, for Espinal. And then, well, there was a walk as well, and Perez left the game without recording an out. Then Lewis Head came in. He got the last two outs of the inning, but he allowed a hit and a walk and another run as well. And when it was all said and done, it was a six spot in the seventh inning for the Blue Jays, and it went from a pitcher's duel to kind of a blowout game at 6 nothing heading into the eighth inning. And again, you know, it wasn't the best relievers. Now, it's a little concerning that CNL Perez looked that bad, but the other guys were Crable and Head. Just a little concerning to see that performance from the Oriole bullpen. Fourth thing you need to know from this one is that, you know, despite those performances, I did like what I saw from Logan Gillespie out of the bullpen. He was recalled last week for the Orioles. And again, he was pitching in a 6-1 to game in the bottom of the 8th, but scoreless inning, just one hit allowed, had a strikeout through only 10 pitches. The stuff looked a little more crisp than it has the last time he was up. So maybe Gillespie can be a piece down the line. We'll see, but I certainly liked what I saw out of him. And then the fifth and final thing you need to know from this game for the Orioles is that, you know, it just feels like games like this are going to happen. And friend of the pod, former guest Matt Ritchie, tweeted this out on Wednesday that, you know, the Orioles with the current roster they have are just bound to have a disaster of an offensive game once a week. Now, it really hurt that they did it twice in four days this week, but You know, you have to give Adley Rutschman a day off every once in a while. He hadn't sat since late July. It had been almost three weeks since he had actually sat. Now, he DH'd in that time, but hadn't actually sat. So, I'm not against Adley Rutschman sitting, you know, fully sitting. He didn't even DH with Chirinos catching. And, hey, Chirinos did drive in the only run for the Orioles. But he needs to sit every once in a while. I mean, he's a catcher. You want to get him, you know, out from behind the dish. But... Give him a day off every three weeks. I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm not mad they did that. And yeah, I would have liked Taron Vavra in this lineup. He did come in with a pinch hit single and score the only run of the game for the Orioles. But it's not as much about that. It's more about the fact that, you know, you look at this roster and the Orioles, you know, of all seven AL wildcard contenders right now, they have the worst offensive stats out of all of them. They have the worst WRC plus, the only team in the wildcard race with a below average offense. They're at a 97 WRC plus. The other six teams are 100 or above. And when you look down at AAA and you have Kyle Stowers fully ready to go and you have Gunnar Henderson killing it and two guys who would really help your lineup, it just doesn't make a lot of sense that they're not in the big leagues yet helping the Orioles when they have two games in four days like this where the offense literally does nothing until the last two innings. So it's a little concerning for the rest of this race. The Orioles are still right in it, but hoping those two guys can get to the big leagues. But the Orioles lose it 6-1. to one. They can't get the sweep. But at the end of the day, they won a huge division series in Toronto and overall in the week gained the game on the Blue Jays in the standings and still sit just a game and a half out of a wild card spot. But coming up next, we are going to shift our focus to the draft for a little bit as we continue our 2022 Orioles MLB Draft Profile Series. We're going to talk about the O's 7th and 8th round selections 
here on this episode. The seventh rounder, Preston Johnson, a right-handed pitcher out of Mississippi State. Stefan Kreishnik is going to join us, who covers Mississippi State for the Clarion Ledger. He will be first to talk about Johnson. And then coming up after that, we'll talk about the eighth-round selection, the right-handed pitcher out of Michigan, Cameron Weston. And Zach Linfield, a broadcaster for Michigan Baseball, is going to join us in our third and final segment to talk about Weston. So those two guests coming up to talk about two Orioles draft picks and two right-handed pitchers. But first, let's picture this. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes too many, and as the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. But nah, you live nearby. You can make it home, okay? It's no big deal. What are the odds you get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up, you lose your license, you lose your job, you total your car, you kill someone. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. All right, so we welcome Stefan Kreishnik into the podcast. He covers Mississippi State athletics, including the Bulldogs baseball team for the Clarion Ledger. And Stefan, first of all, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Uh, Orioles are probably one of many people who say that Orioles are becoming one of my favorite teams this year to watch. They're fun. And, uh, and of course, Preston Johnson is, is a fun pitcher to watch. So uh, let's see how those two come together in a few years. Yeah, a lot of people are jumping on the bandwagon, and, and the hope is that when Preston Johnson gets to the big leagues, he's who we're talking about today, uh, this team fully has it in gear and uh, is a perennial contender in the American League. But again, we're talking about Preston Johnson, the right-handed pitcher, who the Orioles selected in the seventh round out of Mississippi State in this year's 2022 MLB draft. And for Johnson, I know this year it was a bit of a change for him because when he won the College World Series when, with Mississippi State in 2021, he was a reliever, pitched exclusively out of the bullpen, had a really good year out of the pen, great strikeout numbers. And so the Bulldogs moved him to the rotation this year. And I know there were a, a few hiccups along the way, but how would you kind of summarize his, you know, only Division One season as a starting pitcher this year? Yeah, I think it was everything Mississippi State could have possibly asked for him, considering, you know, when the season started, he wasn't a starter. You know, it was supposed to be Landon Sims, who the – uh, Diamondbacks took in the first round, right? Like it, it was supposed to be Landon Sims, um, you know, Parker Stanek, Cade Smith as, as a rotation, but you, you had those first two guys go down with injuries and Landon Sims made about three starts and had Tommy John surgery. So Mississippi State, not only did they need Preston to come into that starting role, they also, they needed a Friday night guy. And, and in college, the Friday night guy is, is when you have your ace, right? Every every Friday, the team's two two best pitchers go at it. And and that's what Preston Johnson had to become, and, and he lived up to it. I mean, he went, you know, pound for pound, pitch for pitch with a lot of really good pitchers in the SEC, some who also, you know, got drafted, uh, some going after him. Like, the, the, that's what State needed from him, and, and he stepped up in a major way, um, you know, that I think maybe a lot of people didn't expect. Um, and he, he showed – an ability to, you know, I always think that the most interesting thing when someone moves from a reliever to starter is how do you handle your fastball, right? Because when you're going out there for an inning, you know, you know, we see it so much in MLB now, you know, how much teams turn to their bullpen because they know they can get a guy out there, 
who's going to just pump everything he's got because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have to, to go long. Um, and, and it was interesting to see how Preston was able to take, you know, his fastball, which is probably his best pitch or at least his most reliable pitch and, you know, have the good velocity, but do it over seven, eight, nine innings. Right. That, that's the most impressive thing, I think, from that jump and to do it at the high level that he did um, is, is why I think a team like the Orioles, you know, really found interest in him. Yeah. And the thing that impressed me the most is that in general, you know, you, you talk about that split between being a reliever and, and being a starter. And most guys are going to see strikeout numbers go down, you know, if they go from the bullpen to a starting pitching role, just because you're not 100 percent all out max effort stuff every pitch when you're trying to go six, seven innings. But right. Johnson's elite strikeout numbers basically stayed the same. I mean, he was at 13.6 Ks per nine in 2021 and 13.3 K's per nine as a starter in, you know, almost triple the innings in 2022. So when he is punching guys out, is it that fastball that gets his strikeouts or do the secondaries kind of become his swing and miss pitches? He he did have, he did have a lot of success and I'm trying to, I'm trying to find the stat right here, but I think he wound up leading the SEC in strikeouts. If I'm not mistaken, it was, it was, or he, at least he was up there. So um, yeah, like you said, it, it's impressive. It, it was the fastball that was doing a lot of it. And, and, you know, a lot of it was the fastball setting things up, right? You paint in the corner, you're getting, you know, you're stealing strike one, stealing strike two. Um, he wasn't afraid to to go up and and you know, up above the letters to to get trying to get a strike three. He also has a good slider changeup, you know, in the arsenal that that can pull, you know, hitters to to get that strike three that that put away pitch. Um, but but the fastball was you know the go to that that was his that was his thunder. Um, it had decent movement on it, had good velocity on it. Um, you know, even as the game went on, he was able to maintain, you know, 96, 97 uh, going into the game. That, that's what that's what set it up. He he did show what I thought was interesting was, you know, against some some really good teams and the exact games are slipping my mind. Um, but but he played you know, and, and SEC baseball, obviously, every weekend is, is a pretty tough series, but he played against some really good teams where. Um, you know, he, he might've had a tough first inning and teams were jumping on that fastball and he showed a really good ability to, to come back and, and pitch you backwards, right? Like he, he relied on that fastball, but if you were catching it, he wasn't afraid to, to go off speed on the first pitch, which I thought um, is another thing that, you know, as a starter, he showed that, that he had, I guess the baseball IQ to be able to, to give you seven, eight innings and understand and make adjustments as that, as the game went on, you can't really do that. Right. In, in one inning, right? When you're out there, I mean, it's hard to predict what, what teams are going to be looking for when you come out there. But when you're out there for a few innings, you can kind of see what a lineup is looking for. So th the fastball was number one, and there, there's no denying that. Um, but his ability ability to use those off-speed pitches at the right time and kind of understand when the right time to use them is, um, you know, really stood out to me for a guy who, who hadn't really been in the starting rotation before. Yeah, and, and he had a great year and, and continued the strikeout numbers. Now, obviously, fans are going to see a 5.47 ERA and ask about that, that. Some of that is the offensive environment in college baseball as a whole right. this year was absolutely absurd. Everybody's ERA was inflated. But also, I know he was hurt by the home run ball a little bit. You know, he made 14 appearances, 13 starts, and he did give up 18 home runs. Is that a, a fair summation that the ERA was maybe a little inflated because of the home run ball? Yeah, there was that one thing that I think is noteworthy that, you know, if you know, for your average fan that probably doesn't watch Mississippi's baseball is Mississippi State, you know, with injuries and other circumstances had a really bad bullpen last year. Like the bullpen was was really bad, to, to say the least. I won't I won't use any other adjectives there. Um, that there was a lot of situations where, you know, he was over a hundred pitches 
and the state was like, we're going to run you out for one more because we trust you more at this point than we do, you know, another reliever. And he would go out there and he would, you know, end up giving up a two run home run or something. And that obviously inflates, um, you know, the ERA a little bit, but it, it was the home run ball uh, for sure. And, you know, it was a result of, you know, when you are a fastball pitcher, if teams are sitting on it and, and you're not, you know, pinpointing your location, it's, it's going to hurt you. So I think one, one guy that, um, you know, I often compare him to, uh, in the majors right now, and it's ironic because he went to Ole Miss. I can't I compare him to uh, Lance Lynn a lot. Um, I think Preston is a little bit more muscular. They're both big, but I think Preston has a little more muscle on it. Um, but but they both really utilize fastballs. You know, Lance has a, a bit of a, a different arsenal of, of different types of fastballs, um, but they both utilize their fastball a lot, and and they both are pretty prone to the home run because of that. So I, I, the home run definitely does inflate. He did a good job, though, of, of not walking guys. So a lot of those home runs were solo home runs. If you're going to give up home runs, then, then you can't be walking guys, and he did a good job of that. So um, it, it is a concern, and it is probably his biggest issue when you look at you know his, his pitching line. Um, but, you know, the, the command gives you some assurance that if it is a home run, it'll be a solo shot, you know? Yeah, and, and the good thing to, to get him to Baltimore as well is that, you know, he's got all this experience as a starter. Also has high leverage experience as a reliever. Right. I mean, he was pitching out of the bullpen in Omaha for a team that, that won the College World Series. And the last thing I wanted to ask is, you know, there's the, the viral clip of Preston from 2021 waving goodbye to a home run that he gave up at the College World Series. Is that a look into, you know, is he one of the looser guys in the dugout? Like, how does he kind of fit in there? Because you see that clip, and in that, again, it was kind of a blowout game when he gave that up, so it's not like yeah. it was the biggest high-stakes moment. But to do that on the mound in Omaha and the biggest pitches you're throwing yeah. in your life, like, you could be a little different, I would say, in a good way, probably. Yeah, no, he is, and he's one of the guys that Mississippi State, you know, consistently – uh, referred to as a leader, one of those guys who was always upbeat in the dugout. Um, there's no doubt about that. I mean, that clip probably – uh, per personifies him pretty well and it shows his personality, but he's also a guy that, um, you know, there's tons of videos out there of him, you know, just getting pumped up, um, you know, talking crap to an opposing dugout after getting a big strikeout. Like he's a guy that, that gets into the game. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always interested to see when, when guys go, you know, to their majors from college, how, you know, major league teams kind of help them or, or teach them to manage emotions and maybe not show it a lot. Um, but I think now you're seeing a lot, of the way the the professional game is changing is you know people are fine with with those emotions being worn worn on people's um you know people wear it so um i think you'll see a lot of that from person johnson um we'll see at the major league level if he's waving goodbye to home runs i, I assure you his rookie year he won't be doing that because i don't know how how orioles how the orioles will like that uh you know from a guy trying to trying to make the roster um but but he'll be a guy that that's fired up uh into games and, and will be one of those looser guys in the dugout yeah, it seems like he's going to bring good stuff and, and bring some good vibes to the Orioles system. And and obviously, you know, the O's right now have Jordan Westberg knocking on the door of the major leagues and hoping a, another Bulldog can get to the major leagues soon with Preston Johnson. But Stefan, thank you so much uh, for joining us here to tell us more about Preston Johnson, the Orioles seventh round pick in this year's draft. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. So our thanks to Stefan Kreischnick for joining the podcast to talk about Preston Johnson and his time with Mississippi State. Next up, we will talk with Zach Linfield to talk about Cameron Weston, the Orioles' eighth-round pick, the righty out of Michigan. But first, did you know the key to sustainable weight loss is through your liver? It's responsible for flushing out harmful toxins and igniting your fat-burning metabolism. But most of us have overworked our livers. 
But now it's easy to rejuvenate your liver health and reignite your metabolism thanks to Liver Health Formula by Pure Health Research. Liver Health Formula, it contains eight liver-boosting super nutrients like turmeric, beet, and artichoke extract, all of which work together to wake up a sluggish liver. And best of all, Liver Health Formula makes it easier to maintain a healthy body weight long term. And as a listener of our show, you can try Liver Health Formula risk-free today. So go to getliverhelp.com slash MLB to learn more. Again, that's getliverhelp.com to try Liver Health Formula completely risk-free. One more time, go to getliverhelp.com slash MLB to get started now. All right, so we welcome Zach Linfield into the podcast, sports broadcaster at the University of Michigan, calling all Wolverines athletics, including the baseball team there in Ann Arbor. And Zach joins us here on the pod. First of all, Zach, thank you so much uh, for hopping on the podcast. No, thank you, Connor. Even as a uh, as a Tigers fan, I'm happy to help the O's guy out. Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, you were probably hoping the Tigers season was going to go as the Orioles has gone, and, and many of us thought honestly the Orioles season might be going as the Tigers has gone. Um, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll save that conversation. For another day, I'm sure you got a lot of thoughts there, but we're talking about Cameron Weston today, the right-handed pitcher who the Orioles selected out of Michigan in the eighth round of this year's MLB draft. And where I wanted to start with him is really going back to his 2021 season as a sophomore, where he went into the starting rotation. He pitched every weekend for Michigan. He had a 2.81 ERA, but he had only right around seven Ks per nine. So my first question is, you know, he clearly wasn't a huge strikeout guy that first year. So what made him so successful in his first year as a starter? I think it was a lot due to the mix-up because Coach Backage, who's now with uh, Clemson, um, departed a couple months ago. He threw him into the starting rotation, and it wasn't, you know, you get your warm-ups. And I don't want to dog down on a couple of non-conference opponents, but he threw him right into the fire with the Big Ten. I believe his first start was against Iowa, who's a really good club. And you look through that 2021 campaign, and he pretty much only pitched against Big Ten opponents. And I'll tell you what, the 2021 year for the Big Ten was a little more competitive when it came to the at-bats from the batting side compared to 2022. And I'm sure we'll get into the 22 season in a little bit. But um, 2021, the batters were just on something else in the Big Ten. It was a very competitive year. I mean, Nebraska was one of the best teams in the conference, and they completely tailed off in 22. But, I mean, he's a strike thrower. And that's the number one thing that you're going to ask for when it comes to the professional leagues is, can you throw strikes? And he certainly could. Although it wasn't strikeout stuff, he's challenging batters to say, this is my stuff, show me yours. And he's got a good defense behind him the past two years. And so I believe that has a lot to do with just trusting his defense, throwing the ball down the plate and hoping that the batter will dig one in the ground or try and golf swing at it. And then his role changed a little bit this season before he was drafted. It was 20 appearances, 11 starts, and nine out of the bullpen. I know he made four saves. He was kind of all over the place and ended up being, you know, somewhat of a Swiss army knife for this team. I remember watching him pitch in the big 10 tournament, just in different roles and then in the NCAA regional, but you know, the strikeout numbers went up, you know, he was up to 10 Ks per nine. He became a little bit more of a strikeout pitcher in 2022. First of all, what went into kind of the changing roles throughout the year and, and what changed about him as a pitcher in his junior year? So it was a little odd because the 2021 year, he was really efficient as a contact pitcher. And I knew we were going to talk about 22 because it clicked for opposing batters against him in a, I'd say, a little less competitive Big Ten when it came to the batter side. 
there was a lot of power in the 21 year. There was good power in 22, but um, starting his role was a Friday guy and he was the guy for Michigan. Um, there was two other starters that Jacob Denner and Connor O'Halloran that were lefties. And a lot of the time in college baseball, you're not going to see two out of the three weekend guys be southpaws. So as the only righty, they kind of tossed him into that Friday role. Then it got pushed back to Saturday and then eventually to the bullpen. Because if you go and you look at the stats at Michigan, his last three starts, I think the last one, it might have been against Michigan State. It was like four and a third, 10 hits and quite a few runs. But his last three starts were 10 hits, eight hits, eight hits. And it was that second and third time through the order. As you'd see, it's the gold rule in baseball that uh, second and third time through the order, the BAA batting average against, that's going to go up. That's just a proven, obvious rule in baseball. And I think that's something that may have happened to him. And like I said, Connor, he was a strike thrower. And you throw the ball across the plate and you challenge hitters. And maybe he challenged him a little too often. So Coach Backage decided that uh, Chase Allen, a big right-hander out of Colorado who – He's going to be an MLB guy. So if your Orioles are interested in another big right-hander, take a look at Chase Allen. <laughs> but um, he ended up being pushed into the starting rotation of the three-man weekend. And they wouldn't even use uh, Cameron for the midweeks. You know, they play a Tuesday game maybe every once in a while, a Monday, just to keep the legs loose. And uh, they would not pitch him in those early week games, maybe an inning here and there. But they'd put him in the LR slot, the long relief. And he was fantastic. I don't believe he allowed more than four runs the rest of the year in at least eight bullpen appearances. I mean, I don't have the stats right here in front of me, but from what I remember, he was really good, including postseason play against some really good schools, including Iowa, Louisville. I mean, he had real deal stuff out of the bullpen. So whether or not that ends up being his role in Baltimore's organization, I'm not sure. I think that's probably where he's going to fit best at, but he's a guy that can do it all. If he's called upon saving games, he can do that. He's going to throw you strikes. Now, he doesn't throw the hardest, but he will throw you strikes. Yeah, and you mentioned that stuff, and it's kind of interesting because you know, I did want to ask, you know, he's a guy who's getting a lot of soft contact, you know, especially when he was a starter. Is it kind of a, a sinker ball guy, or is he, you know, a guy that gets guys to, to beat the ball into the ground, or, or what generally does the stuff look like for Weston on the mound? That seemed to sort of be it, and now I don't have full intel on him, unfortunately. I don't know what his pitch arsenal is because just as a student head radio guy, um, I don't have that personal relationship that I'd have with my role um, here in the Northwoods League where it's personal, personal, personal. I can ask them that kind of question. It wasn't like that at Michigan. But, um, no, it's a little bit of both. Um, you're going to see the stuff that goes straight on the ground. Once in a while you get the high flyouts, but – He's a really big trust my defense kind of guy. And that's something that you're going to have to appreciate down the line as a professional pitcher. You have to be able to trust your defense. And I think that's one of the number one things for him right now is he's trusting his defense at a college level where sometimes the defense isn't great. And now he was fortunate that Michigan had a pretty darn good defense behind him. Uh, it struggled middle of the year a little bit defensively, a fielding percentage tailed down. And then towards the postseason, Michigan, for some reason, just – they all come together and they play as a band of brothers. And that was good to see because they didn't make too many defensive mistakes later in the year when it came to crunch time. But no, he will throw the ball across the plate. And a lot of the time it's going to be weak contact where he will trust his defense. And I think that's something that's going to be really looked forward to for the Orioles. And then the last question I got for you, Zach, you know, you've seen him really in kind of three, you could argue more distinct roles, a, a go-to starter, kind mm -hmm. of the swingman relief role. And he, he, 
spent a little bit of time in kind of a closer role. So, you know, yeah, if things did. go right for Cameron and he gets to the big leagues in a couple of years, if you had to guess based on what you've seen, which of those three roles do you think he would get to the big leagues in, you know, not necessarily taking into account like what the Orioles, you know, would need at that time, but more so what Cameron would be at his best. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I, I appreciated everything he did for Michigan. As I mentioned, we never got to really meet or talk on a personal level. We didn't go to class together. That's one of the cool things is that a lot of the baseball players are in the same classes as me. So I'm like, Hey, you know, can I talk with you? That wasn't the case with Weston. But uh, I would have loved to chat with guys like Chase Allen, like I mentioned earlier, where I can ask them that kind of question, like, yeah, relief is my role down the line. But if I had to take uh, an educated guess, for the Orioles, it's probably going to be that reliever role. I think going up through affiliated ball, it's probably going to be long relief. And if he's able to make it to the big leagues, he's going to be that two-inning guy, one-inning guy that will come in and it'll be an offset kind of thing. The Orioles could go in – and we're talking about if he makes it up and plays at uh, Camden Yards, especially that the Orioles could throw a guy that throws, you know, pretty hard. They can throw 92, 94, and then they go to the pen. Here comes 98 right at you. And then all of a sudden here comes Cameron Weston back in. And that's a big change of pace. I mean, do you see a lot of MLB teams doing that nowadays where they're going to throw a heat thrower in there and then they offset that just a little bit with a little bit of ice and snow. So, I think that's probably going to be his best role. And, I mean, I would love to see him as a starter. That'd be awesome. But he wasn't able to make it through a lot of five-inning performances this season because of that hard contact. But if he's thrown into a role after someone that's throwing 97, 98, we went to the Brewers game as a group of interns last night, and Brandon Woodruff's throwing 98 miles an hour cheddar up high. Then you throw in Cameron Weston. I think he's going to offset him if he's throwing in pitches low in the zone. Um, and he does have movement on the fastball. It does move a little bit, and I do believe, Connor, it, it tails and sinks enough to where that's going to confuse a batter to make him think that he's throwing some kind of off-speed. So I think that would be his best role coming up to affiliated ball. Yeah, and what makes it important for him is he's got certainly got versatility, and he's certainly you know not, as you said, a lot of – there's a lot of cookie-cutter guys that are throwing 97 up in the zone, and it's starting to – things are starting to swing back the other way, it seems, where guys like Weston – are becoming more and more valuable. And that's why, of course, the Orioles picked him up in the eighth round this year. But Zach, thank you so much for joining us, telling us some more about Cameron Weston. Uh, he, he was an interesting pick because he wasn't on a lot of people's radars when he got selected, mm -hmm. but kind of watching some video, I know I watched him uh, pitch against Maryland multiple times over the past couple of years and, and got to see why you know, he was, uh, you know, such a, you know, maybe under the radar selection by the Orioles this year. But uh, thanks again for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you, Connor. So our thanks again to both of our guests on today's episode, Stefan Kreishnik coming on to talk about Preston Johnson and his time at Mississippi State. Stefan covers Mississippi State athletics, including the baseball team for the Clarion Ledger. And then right there, we had Zach Linfield on, who was a broadcaster for Michigan Baseball, to talk about Cameron Weston's time with the Wolverines. And two interesting right-handed pitchers who the Orioles got in the seventh and eighth rounds of this year's draft. I do think for Johnson, you know, even though he pitched out of the bullpen in 2021, I think the Orioles see him as a starter long-term. It was interesting to hear about that Lance Lynn comparison from Stefan, but he's got some exciting stuff. That fastball really plays up. The Orioles are going to work with the breaking stuff, especially the changeup. And I think they'll turn him into a pretty good arm. Weston, kind of a wild card because as we talked about, doesn't have the gaudy strikeout numbers that you usually see from pitchers 
who go in the top 10 rounds of the draft, but he was always effective no matter what role he was in. Starter, you know, swing reliever or closer, he was effective, has that sinker, has a good changeup with a breaking ball, gets a lot of ground balls, a lot of soft contact, and the strikeout numbers did get a lot better from 2021 to 22 for Weston, and we'll see what the Orioles uh, can do with him. He's kind of one of the more unknowns, I think, in this Orioles draft class. But uh, two right-handed pitchers to help the depth of the pitching in this system. It'll be exciting to see them get their pro careers started. But we thank you all for tuning in to this episode. Again, I'll be back tomorrow for one more episode this week. First, of course, I'll recap this kind of one-off game between the Orioles and Cubs at Oriole Park on Thursday. I'll be in the ballpark for a 3 o'clock start, a makeup game against the lowly Cubs. Hopefully the O's can take care of business, and I'll recap that game on tomorrow's episode, get you the five things you need to know, and then we'll get you ready for a big weekend series, Orioles and Red Sox at the yard this weekend. We'll preview that and continue talking all things Orioles coming up on tomorrow's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.